Hello and welcome to the program. My name is Luke Hunt and this is another podcast for The Diplomat. With me today is Scott Johnson. Scott is a filmmaker, journalist, activist. He's spent many a year working in and out of Myanmar. In fact, he's made 70 trips over the border into that very troubled country. Scott, welcome to the program. Great to, ha- oh, great to talk to you, Luke. Fantastic. Now, uh, you're seeing things a little bit differently. The world is getting more focused on Myanmar, particularly uh, the leaders within ASEAN. And, uh, well, it obviously hasn't gone very well, particularly for the Cambodian Prime Minister, Hun Sen. How do you see things shaping up? Well, you know, it's it's an ongoing thing. Um, We can go back, you know, decades to World War II and beyond. But I think particularly for the... Uh, that the mistakes that the international community is making were, you know, primarily focused around the uh, Obama years, uh, with the, you know, this uh, this sort of myth emerging out of, of Burma that Aung San Suu Kyi was going to rise up and bring democracy and freedom and justice for everybody, and the actual plan that was endorsed by the, uh, you know, the global inter- the internationalists at the time. This was always completely doomed to failure you know and i hate to say it but you know i told you so but i I was saying this back in 2009 because um the basic structure of the plan they put forward was a uh an inferior one it's just it's it's uh shambles basically what was wrong with it well you know look if burma it's it's maligned you know we, we can sum it up in one way you know it burma is not really about the burmese Burma is it's an ethnic country, and they have to start focusing in on being an ethnic country because 70% of the population, roughly, you know, is ethnic people. They're not Burmese. And when you have a ruling class, which is made of Burmese elite, which is basically the Burmese elite military, the, the, the military mafia, yep. um, being engaged at, at that time, and when you accept their plan, so the military mafia, the Burmese elite military mafia, put forth a plan to, to bring democracy to the country, uh, which was it was never really intended to do that anyway. But they, they put forth this plan, and the West bought it. The Obama administration bought it. 2016, um, in, in 2016, in the White House, I believe, it was Aung San Suu Kyi and the President Obama at this time. He they made a statement that we're soon to have uh, a tour, a booming tourist industry. Words to that effect. You can look it up. It's all sure. you know. He, he talks about having we're going to have a tourist industry coming out, and you know nothing could be further from the truth. It was always a sham. And the reason well, was, was that the military l- drafted. Right. So was, I was just going to interrupt. It was only a year later that uh, under Aung San Suu Kyi, the uh, military was accused of committing a genocide. It's a bit. It's a bit yeah. That the name. And they yep. went straight for the Rohingyas, right? And that has to probably has to do also. Um, so they went and massacred a, 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 a horrific. They threw babies into fires and forget about whether you want to call the Rohingyas Bengalis or whatever religion they are. Put that aside. They're human beings, and these people. I mean, there's incredible reports of them throwing babies into fires. The Burmese military. And this was, you know, we're going to have a tourist industry um, prior to that. You know, I mean, it's ridiculous. So, but the the 
the, uh, the International Community accepted this military draft of the Constitution, which enshrined military power. And uh, by en- enabling that, the only way you could change the vote of the, the, was have all the, the government representatives, um, the military was guaranteed like 20 or 30 percent of them. And the only way you could change it was if you had 70 percent of the opposition. So it basically enshrined military power. And the fact, but, you know, beyond all that, the, the hoax of the, of the Constitution that they put forward was the myth of Aung San Suu Kyi. Now, she was Burman, ethnic Burman. She may have some ethnic ancestry there on her mother's side or something like that, but the reality is that she was, a, that the NLD was a Burmese party. They ignored the ethnics. They still have this entrenched uh, mentality that we're the domi- dominating uh, uh, nationalist group. So, right. if you want to look at India, had a caste system. India has a caste system. You know, uh, Burma has a race system where the Burmese are the majority. So the world's got to stop viewing Burma as Burma as being run by Burmans. So the the, the um, UN yeah. funded. Um, uh, census they did, I think it started back in 2014, and uh, it basically uncovered that the, the ethics are a huge population. Probably, look, Aung San Suu Kyi made it out on that, that it was around 60%, but it's probably more around 70 So the Burmese are actually a minority. And to ignore all these ethnic groups in the country, which, which have their own militias, armies, their own governments, uh, is, is ridiculous. And that's what the West did. They don't even understand it. So they, even though some of the, you talk to politicians and some of the experts, they don't understand the basic structure of the country, the structure of the, of, and the geography as well, because right. we roughly have 60 to 70 percent of the geography under Burmese, uh, under, under ethnic, which is ancestral ethnic land. So th- that was a, the, you know, it was always doing the same. And um, let's hope they don't make the same mistake again by continuing to ignore the ethnic. So um, the ethnics really need a voice. And if we see, look at the Arakan army over in the West, they've shaken the foundations of the uh, of this establishment by going on their own. And they're very admirable. The, the Arakan army are one of these, uh, a, a dynamic force. And they're, you know, they were on the Western side of, uh, of Burma, but right. they're now seizing control of, of, look, the estimates are roughly around, probably between 60 to 80 percent of the country is well, of, of Burma in the Arakan state is right. controlled by the Arakan army and the okay. United League of Arakan. Okay, we'll get there in a minute. Now, the uh, yep. Special Advisory Council for Myanmar released a report last month basically saying that um, the NUG the National Unity Government has effective control of more than 50% of the country at about 52, 53 and that 20 odd percent of the country is disputed while the military has control absolute control of just about 13% I, uh, this continual recognition and this, this desire to do a, a deal with the military, which we saw this year with uh, Cambodian Prime Minister Hun Sen as uh, chair of ASEAN, it, it seems to be out of kilter with the realities on the ground, which I think is what you're trying to say. Yeah, 100% out of uh, uh, 
doesn't make any sense, logical sense, if you look at it from a, a you know some sort of democratic process is happening or anything. But, but you know the um, you know these figures, I, I don't know you know how accurate they are, but who controls? Because there's so many factions. We have 20 armed groups. Yeah. You know, in in Burma, roughly, right? You know, and. Uh, uh, even they're springing up new ones recently. You know, within the Karens, there's a couple different factions. So, uh, you know, who controls Sean State? Is, does the NUG have power? Um, the NUG would probably have lots of support from the Burmese population. Right. You know, again, that's probably we're looking at thirty, forty percent of the population. They're they're gonna they're gonna support the NUG above the military. However, you know. Does that include the, you know, are the, the NUG probably ha- have nothing to do with the Arakan state? Are they operating in Shan State? Um, Shan State's one fourth of the country, you know, and it's, it's, so it's very, it's a, it's a big mess. Right. And I think under, you know, under the Obama administration, it was this rollout, this sort of mass formation, if you like. We're going to keep pumping nonsense in Chi, the myth, probably under Ben Rhodes' guiding ship, you know. Um, these guys made a drastic mistake. In, in going along with this. And, um, you know, it, it questions whether how intelligent or how accurate the the, administ- the people guiding this sort of policies are. Um, uh, now the, the but world, look, let's yeah. hope the NGG... Yeah, go ahead. Well, the world is, um, in terms of global attitudes to Myanmar, has been looking to ASEAN to take the lead. Uh, Hun Sen this year was extremely embarrassed by, on two fronts. The first was when uh, he claimed to have reached an agreement with the military to have the Australian economist Sean Turnell released, and he in fact came out and announced it, very embarrassed when the military didn't do that and he had to apologise. The second time was uh, shortly before the ASEAN foreign ministers meet uh, a couple of months back, when despite Hun Sen's pleas not to, the military executed four pro-democracy activists, which which sent a dire message to the uh, ASEAN foreign ministers. Well, at the same time, the military is trying to get back into the group after being banned. Uh, what does that say? Uh, what can ASEAN do next to try and drive the process a little bit further? Yeah, it's, it's interesting, you know, the, the Asian countries, uh, as you're taking some sort of lead in this. I mean, clearly the West has failed, and it may be that they're struggling for, to find, you know, we're going to blame it, get, let the Asian deal with it. But looking at the, um, you know, the, the structure of the military, which is in power now, they're, they're, they're doubling down. They have, they have a new dynamic within yeah. Burma. And that's the uh, the PDF, the People's Defense Forces, mm-hmm. and probably for, for, for there is some hope in this, this you know thing because the, the, the tide has shifted in some ways where the 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 Burmese themselves, the ethnic Burmese, now realize that the, hey there is ethnics in this country, and we have to include, and they're going to them seeking them now because the the PDF are now being trained by the ethnic people. Right. The People's Defense Forces are are and. Of course, the PDF the military is, is holding. So I was just going to quickly add that yep. the PDF is the uh, basically the military branch of uh, the NUG. The, the People's Defence Forces. Now they're probably in different factions as well, and apparently they are. But 
nonetheless, you know, this, these are Burmese citizens, uh, Burmese people, ethnic Burmese primarily. There's probably a lot of ethnics in there as well. But, you know, they're, and they're, they're going against the military now. So, look, the only thing holding the military regime together is, is of course, power. And that power is through their air power and artillery. You know, on the battlefield, it's unlikely, the, especially in the jungles and remote areas, the ethnics are going to wipe the Burmese military out. The Karens recently captured posts and, and various bases uh, in Karen State. Yep. There's been a, a recent atrocity in an airstrike um, that just hit the news. But, you know, it's, it's through air power. Uh, and the artillery, well, this the is, massive amounts of artillery. This is what I'm hearing you know. is that um, the uh, PDF, where previously much of the fighting has been restricted to the jungle, that now they're coming out and they're taking the fight more to the military and that they've emerged from the jungles, they've, uh, they've been attacking in the smaller villages and they're reaching the uh, basically the perimeters of provincial cities, which is starting to take the fight to the military in areas that they haven't seen before. Are you hearing similar? Yep, yep. so urban warfare, you know, it's going to be holding the dynamic. For, for decades now, the Burmese military have been basically been able to wage warfare in the frontier regions, the vast majority of the country against the ethnic people, without having to worry about internal strife. In general, right? Mm-hmm. Now the, the times have changed because the Burmese can carry out activities. And, and I'll just point out, a few years ago, the Arakan army, in conjunction with some of the other ethnic groups, uh, I believe it was the Kokan and um, the TNLA, the Tahang, uh, you know, they did an operation where they captured the the military uh, in New Mandalay, the military headquarters, which was something... Their training school is the equivalent of the Burmese West Point. Right. And they took it over, wiped out everybody in it, and um, and then buggered off. You know, they struck, captured, basically like capturing West Point, but you know, the Burma version, yep. or wiping everybody out inside and then buggering off. So the capabilities are of the of the opposition, once they start hitting the, the city, it's going to be devastating. Can you see a and, day when... Um, can you see a day when... Um, perhaps from the West, that uh, we'll see a lot more arms going in, into uh, Myanmar, probably through Thailand, one would imagine. But uh, can you see the West upscaling the amount of resources that the PDF has to use? It, well, it, you know, I guess it depends on how the West is going to... Are they going to sit on their, their, their hands? Uh, or they're going to get involved because China's making, you know, this is geopolitical again, you know. Sure. What's, you know, is, is the, the Belt and Road, you know, it appears to be expanding. Um, there's a giant city, for example, in Karen State called Shui Koko, just not far from the Thai border. And Shui Koko was built in a couple of years, and it's a massive city with, five, with 500,000 Chinese people move there. Whoa. Um, five. We're talking about. Um, a, I think there's a hotel for 600 guests. There's massive villas that are built up, and the Chinese built the city in a couple of years. It's and it used to be like, say, five, six, a few years ago, mm-hmm. this was only a um, a small little outpost, right. a little Karen village, a little outpost, and now it's a gigantic city. Um, you see, know, there's been lots of reports about it. Yeah, we've seen you know, similar drone footage of it shows. 
Yep. So I was just going to say, we've seen similar developments in Cambodia and plans to uh, yep. ship a couple of million Chinese into Cambodia. So uh, that's what we hear. But uh, It's connected. Right. Yeah. It was actually this um, reportedly, you know, the reports are that it was the Cambodian uh, companies, that the same ones in Siwanakville, um, you know, that basically destroyed Siwanakville, right? Right. I mean... Yeah, it's not pretty you down know, there. So those same sort of, they came down and, uh, you know, I mean, I knew a guy who just non-political was over in Siwanakville and he was moved to tears when he saw what how they had destroyed the place. Yeah. I mean, that a, was his, his words. It's something else. You know, else. how the... Uh, right. Now, you've done a lot of work with the individual ethnic groups. Um, can you background, background us a little bit on the Arakan and what is it that stops them from fighting as a cohesive unit, which has been the big complaint for a long time. Yeah, I mean, everybody talks about the unity thing, you know, and um, look, there's probably a host of various reasons, but, you know, we definitely have a history of different ethnic groups that speak different languages and ancestral lands. So you're going to have this natural um, instinct to sort of bond together with your own. But, of course, we have divide and rule by the Burmese military, pumping arms, bribing. the Karen leadership, for example. We look at the Karens, the leaders that are running the Karens for, for over 10 years now. They're completely corrupt. They're running, they're putting casinos in Karen State. They're, they're, they've been co-opted by the Burmese, uh, hugging and kissing the Burmese generals. Um, at the same time, we have just single, there's one camp, for example, yeah. in, in Karen State, uh, sorry, on the Thai-Burma border, Mela. It has 50,000 Karens there, 50,000 and a few other ethnics, but primarily Karens. Now, this has been there since the 1980s. So we're looking at 30 years, something of a uh, over 30 years, maybe almost 40 years of people living in a giant refugee camp, which is almost like a big concentration camp. And, you know, we have the leaders of the Karen, current Kenyan leadership, hugging, kissing the Burmese, taking money, building casinos across the border. Um, and this is the problem with the Arakans. You know, they, they do have a, they had the Northern Alliance, which was four groups. Then they had the Three Brotherhood Alliance. So they are cooperating to some degree. As I mentioned, the the attack on the Mandalay, the the uh, Burmese military academy, was done by um, a combined force of ethnic. And the Arakans are going to lead are one of the big leaders in this very very smart leadership. Um, the general, the, the people that are running the one, I'll tell you an interesting aspect about yeah. the Arakan sure. was that they, they started out with about 20 students. And out of the blue, I think in 2009, so 20 students got together and said, hey, let's do something. And suddenly we have the, the, one of the leading, the, the di most dynamic uh, forces in Burma operating from 20 students. So, and they did, a lot of them didn't have military training. Mm -hmm. And this was the, the interesting aspect of it. They weren't trained by the Burmese military or, you know, other things. So I believe that they were able to um, look at this from a more objective point of view. Uh, for some reason, you know, whatever it is, you've got to salute them because they uh, managed to, they're, they're, they're setting up the administration for their own country and very dedicated. I've met with them numerous times and, um, you know, my hats off to them. I salute them uh, wholeheartedly. And right. 
so the, the efforts are being made to that. What people have, if the West wants to get involved, you need, probably they need to work about focus on the ethnic people, and not, not exclude the Burmese, of course, but, you know, we need to see them for what, what they are. They're the indigenous people of the region as well, and they've been there for a thousand years or so, and they need to be included. So some sort of federation, some sort of, even autonomy, whatever it's independence, whatever level it has to be done, but they need to be included. And if when they become unified, which I think they could if someone was to take the initiative and do it, you'll yeah. see a rapid change in that country. Well, I'm wondering, uh, going back a little bit, uh, as, you men- as you mentioned before about Aung San Suu Kyi's faction, basically being simply another faction of uh, the Burmese. What's going to change within the NUG if the NUG is primarily representing Aung San Suu Kyi's interests and her political faction? Yeah, look, it's unclear what... Look, I'm not sure that they are representing totally her. I think uh, she is as a sort of a leading force. Look, I'd I'd kind of say it's probably dead in the water. Um, yep. the, the, you know, the fallback is pretty bad. Um, nobody, you know, most ethnic people ha- had no attraction to her anyway that I know. And the leaders, the, the, the leaders of, the, of those large groups, the Kachin Independence Army, for instance, I met them many times um, and went out with them a few times in the front. You know, uh, the Karens, uh, the Arakan, uh, the Karenis, a lot of these didn't have any great affiliation for Aung San Suu Kyi. Now, I the NUG is more inclusive today. They do have ethnic people represent them, and that is very admirable. So I do hope that they can pull something together, but it's, it's hard to say. You know, um, yeah. there's also people now, there's, there's criticisms on both sides, but, um, you know, if, if, we, if it becomes, look, you know, I, I know one of the, one of the leaders is a Kachin guy. Mm. You know, there's, there's a, I think there's a Karen, in the, you know, and, and it's hard to follow Burmese politics. It really, really is. It's going to be very difficult. Well, I'll back you up on that, having done that. Having followed Burmese politics for the last, oh, God, three decades, uh, I'll back you on that one. It's just uh, extremely difficult finding out anything that's happening in that country. The Western politicians are are going to find it extreme. They're going to to go over there, and they they could travel around the country for six months, and they still walk out, and they still don't have an understanding of it. I mean, when I meet them... You know, NGOs that are there, when I meet politicians who have, who have talked about it, and, and that when they, when they give me their spiel or, what, or their thoughts on it, I go, my God, we've got no hope. So right. that's the problem. It's a, it's a, um, the subtleties of Asia are lost on these people and the, the history. And a lot of people will, you know, ethnic people, um, a lot of people in Southeast Asia, you know, when they're talking to them, they're kind of saying yes, you, you know. They're shaking their heads with the politicians and the NGOs, but the you know. And I'm reading the situation. I'm going. He really means no. You know, it, they don't understand the subtleties of that, and that's a cultural difference. And that's and, a cultural um, difference among Asian countries as well. I'm thinking. Yeah, you know, people get told what they want to hear. That they won't say things in public in a group. That they won't say private. You know, it, it goes on all these things. But um, the mistake and the myth of Aung San Suu Kyi in that era of we're going to pump this out. All everybody was talking about was Aung San Suu Kyi. And you know, they, they were showing me pictures. Burmese are running around with pictures of Aung San Suu Kyi thinking she's going to save the country. And, 
And look, I coughed in the very beginning. They were saying to me, oh, you're a negative, you're a pessimist. I go, this is bullshit. It's never going to happen. Nothing's going to work out this way. And, you know, in a way, I proved them right. Unfortunately, you know, I had to actually say to people, hey, remember that? And right. they sort of, you know, we have a kind of, a, you know, ironic joke about it. But um, it's sad because of the ethnic, you know, and we, we still have, you know, what, what is the number now of refugees in Australia that, I mean, sorry, refugees yeah. on IDPs, internally displaced people, it's probably over, it's got to be over a million. If you uh, including the, the Rohingya. The Rohingya population. Right, well, Rohingya, there's 1.4 yeah. million now in Bangladesh. There's uh, yeah. about 170,000 in uh, in Malaysia. Catch which, Yeah, which 21,000 yeah. are in camps, which the UN has described as uh, dire. Yeah, so where where do these people where do these people fit in? Where do the IDPs and the refugees? I've been to villages where they just bombed them, actually. Yeah. You know, and seen that everybody they live in the jungle. They they're living in very dire conditions. No food. The camps up in uh, Ketchin State were getting like they had basically a dollar a day to live on. Right now, and, I mean, um, what you're saying though, it's it's it, uh, yeah, 50, 30 years of this now. But what you're saying sounds like a job more for the United Nations. I mean, uh, some suggestions would include enforcing a no-fly zone over the area controlled by the military, which isn't that big. That would uh, also annoy the Russians and the Chinese, no doubt. Is that possible? And would it be possible to uh, perhaps uh, spend some money and establish some genuine refugee camps? I mean... You know, I mean, a little bit more than the ordinary tense. Would it be possible to establish a no-fly zone and build some reasonable UN refugee camps in order to get people out and start uh, planning and deploying from there? The UN is has got, you know, they're doing that, and Thai the Thai government is is fantastic as well because they, you know you got to give credit where it's due. They have about I think it's eight or nine camps still in Thailand, and they've been there for since the 80s. I, I, get, I think there's just under 100,000 refu- um, refugees living in Thailand. They've been there for like 30 or 40 years or whatever. Right. You know, different. they come at different levels. But the early, the early 80s, they started. So the Thais are doing that. There's a lot of people involved. There's the European Union, the Americans, the agencies, the UN, the UNHCR. They're doing that. Uh, a fly zone over different parts. The country's big. So how are you going to, I mean, putting a fly zone up around um, Kachin State. The, the Burmese attacked the Kachins in 2011. So the war in Kachin State has been going on since 2011. How would you get a, uh, a uh, the UN to coordinate anything? I, I, I'm kind of dubious on whether the UN has the capabilities of doing anything internationally like that. I mean, I think they're good aid providers, but I wouldn't trust them. I don't know. It, it's very difficult to say that whether what they have the capabilities to do that. Right. Well, what would you, what would oh, you look, do? In a perfect world, well, I think that in a perfect world, the problem wouldn't exist. Well, you know, um, but... I would unite the ethnics in a in a in a force, coordinate, give everybody the the resources they need, and you can read that however you want. Give the give the ethics the resources to establish their own country, and they could overthrow them. And the PDF, and they could do it in in weeks. The other factors are going to be geopolitical, which is going to be what's China going to do. Um, that's a problem. Um, well, this is where we're heading into, is uh, people will keep talking up 
you know, Cold War Two, which I think is nonsense. But uh, I think we are seeing a redefining of the uh, borders of influence around Southeast Asia and this uh, great frontier uh, north of the Thai border seems to be emerging in Myanmar where uh, the military is not going to be able to control it, but still it's going to be of great influence in terms of um, the West, Western proxies facing off against Russia and perhaps not so much China, but certainly Russia, which uh, I think is delusional about and attempting to punch above its weight, particularly in this part of the world. But uh, they keep dabbling in uh, Myanmar. Look, I was with an arms guy one time, an investigator from an NGO, and we found uh, we were in on, on the other side, in the on the Burma side, right? Right. And we we got some weapons that we had, we had captured weapons that were found, and he went through, you know, and he was going through them and stuff like that. Some of them were Chinese-made weapons, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, there was older M16s from from you know presumably left over from the Vietnam War, M1 carbines even. But there was interesting, there was, there was some stuff that came out of Kachin State, and it was um, Swedish-made stuff. Right, that's all. Um, you know, what, what Sweden doing pumping weapons? You know, and they basically tracked these weapons, and I think it went to India. Um, the, Swedes, the Swedes had sold it to India, then India had sold it to the Burmese, and then the Kachins had captured it. Right, so they'd sold it to the Burmese um, military. You know, who's funding who and who's funding mm. what? Um, it's clear that the West is not really doing much with Burma. I think they tried the Aung San Suu Kyi method. That completely blew up in their face. The Rohingya massacres then came aboard. The ethics were still abandoned. Um, what about all the refugees? I mean, you know, so it, 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 I don't think on theory and paper you could probably come up with a great solution. Let's arm the ethics. Let's arm the, the PDF and let's overthrow. I think that the Burmese military are very, I think they're on the edge of the cliff. Right. You know, the only thing holding this thing together is the fact that they're, they're facing the gallows, you know, the, and uh, they want to hold on to power as long as they can. How can they stabilize a country that, that hates them and they live in a complete military police state? And as You know, the, the, yep. the, the Burmese populations now is rising against them. It wouldn't surprise me in the next few months we see something because the wet season is going to end. Well, ending now as we speak, actually. Indeed, so it is. So I would expect an escalation, but yeah. No, uh, the, the the wet season is ending. Uh, we're seeing that across the region. It's been, and it's been, <laughs> it's been, it's been quite a wet season too. We've had a three-year drought, and that would appear to have come to an end. What would you expect to happen as the uh, as the rivers recede and the Rain stop. What's going to happen in the in the future with the wet season ending? Look, I can only speculate that it's going to be uh, a massive increase in uh, fighting. We've already started to see some of the reports coming through. Maybe there'll be some sort of general offensive uh, with the PDF involved as well. And a massive uprising like this uh, could possibly even topple the government. You know, I, I just think, again, the only thing that's holding the government together is you know, government supplying the artillery and uh, aircraft, you know, well, helicopters, yeah. jets, right. and so forth. I think otherwise the Burmese military is finished. Right. Well, putting on my uh, cap as an armchair general, which I tend to do these days, what would that involve? I mean, if you were to literally overthrow the military, march through those massive highways into Napier Door or uh, 
seize buildings in Yangon, take the radio station and declare victory. What? How would you see that happening? I know, I know, it's a bit of an out there one. Yeah, and well, it's out there. It's a big speculation. I mean, um, you know, are all the ethnic are they coordinated enough? Um, and you know, I think that certainly ones like the uh, Arakan Army are capable of doing exactly that. Um, These guys are highly motivated, and if we took a leap from them, look, it could be done. I I think with the right, um, if the right structures were in place and supports were there, um, I would envision that uh, the military guys would be wondering, you know, there's rumors that they're going to go to Cambodia. I mean, I've heard years ago that they had some deal that if anything goes down, the Burmese generals are going to head off to Cambodia. That would put Cambodia in an interesting position. Um, Look, in finalizing up, you've got to recognize that the ethnic people count, that these are 60, 70 percent of the population, and they need to be included in the Burmese. And then the key denominating factors are that all the ethnic people distrust the Burmese military. Now we see a new dynamic where the, the PDF, the People's Defense Forces, the NUG, are appear to be realizing that if they had the right support and you can interpret support and resources however you want it but you know it, it, it's it's quite feasible to get rid of that regime and install a um some sort of autonomy and federation right. and you take say- lead from the arakans they're already doing it the arakan army they're already basically doing exactly that And on that note, Scott Johnson, thanks very much. It's been a terrific chat. Thanks, Luke. It's always great to chat. And, um, yeah, thank you very much. Okay, we'll do it again soon.